Just every now and then things are funny, and I don't know why. I told Sister Grant this chicken thing, and I, I laughed and laughed and laughed. She said, I don't see anything funny about it. I said, well, there really isn't anything funny about it. <clears throat> Sister Grant claims that she grew up on a farm, but she was one farm girl that knew nothing about the farm. When we got married, she wanted to have a garden, and she wanted to plant Fritos and spaghetti. <laughs> <laughs> I told her we couldn't do that, <laughs> you know. She thought Cheerios were donut seeds. <laughs> oh, land's like a laugh. We went by a farm and there was a stack of milk cans out there and she thought it was a cow's nest. <laughs> Oh, my. Turn around and shake hands with someone and say, I hope he stops this. <laughs> All right, you asked for it, so I'm going to stop it. <clears throat> if you're tired of standing, remember, I've got to stand on one leg up here for a while. <laughs> First Timothy 6. I'm not really for sure how many scriptures that I want to read, but there are a good number of scriptures in this that I feel that I should read. Uh, I have the Amplified Bible, and I, probably what I'll do is read part of this, and then we'll turn to the Amplified Bible, and I will read some of it, and maybe you can follow along uh, with this, or with the subject that I... Let's just look at uh, verse 8. Verse 7, let's start with verse 7. We brought nothing into this world. I have never heard of a child that was born with a $100 bill in his hand. You know, have you? Never. We brought nothing into this world, and it is certain we can carry nothing out. And having food and raiment, let us therewith... Let us be there with content. I hope I don't have rich, riches problem. The truth of the matter is, I'm so full of the Holy Ghost, my brain's hazy. <laughs> it just touches riches glasses, but it gets all the way to my brain. <clears throat> Verse 9, But they that will be rich fall into temptation and a snare, and into many foolish and hurtful lusts, which drown men in destruction and perdition. Or sin. Verse 10, For the love of money is the root of all evil, while which some coveted after, they have erred from the faith and pierced themselves through with many sorrows. And you may be seated. And what I want to speak on is the subject, the insecurity of the secure. And when we say the secure, Basically, we're talking about the seemingly secure. Uh, it is a known fact that uh, the number one drive in the human race is self-preservation. A man will do anything to save his life, more than love, more than anything, more than sex, which is a very, very strong drive. 
love, which is a strong drive, hatred, which is a, a very strong drive. Most everyone, there could, you could find some exceptions, but more than likely, if you're put under the test, you'll do anything to preserve yourself, to secure life. Because this is such a strong drive in an individual's life, we develop greed and we become covetous of certain things, and we seemingly want to lay hold on the things that we see with our eyes to make us happy. Most people who very aggressively go after the things of this world develop insecurities. And the reason why is because they are looking in the wrong direction for true security. Now remember when the Bible says the love of money, it doesn't say that money, it's the love of money. It's your attitude, it's your desire. In other words, you could be the brokest person in Calvary Gospel Church, back in the south where I came from, we had a statement, and when somebody was broke, we'd say we're as poor as Job's old turkey. Now, <clears throat> I'm not for sure where all that came from. There's a lot of things to say in the south that they don't have to have much validity. But nevertheless, that was a statement. And I remember one time talking to a man, and I said, in other words, you are as poor as Job's old turkey, without Blinking and I looked at me and he said, Sir, I am Job's turkey. <laughs> but it seems as if that when greed comes to us and we aggressively pursue it to see security come, that we develop many insecurities. And this is what Paul is talking to Timothy about when he says they are pierced through with many sorrows because some of the most unhappy people in the world are wealthy people. Now, I spoke uh, two Sunday mornings ago, I think it was, or maybe it was last Sunday. No, it wasn't last Sunday morning because I was in bed with a bad knee. And uh, yeah, two Sunday mornings ago, and I talked about wealth I have just continued on my own to do some studying in the Scripture. There's two or three reasons why I've done this. One, uh, as most of you well know, uh, in a couple of weeks, Sister Grant and I will be married 35 years. And then I received the word that uh, our class, the class of 1959, at Henderson High, we're having our 35th class reunion. Now, I will not be able to go. I am dedicating a church in Ellsworth. They have built a new church there, and I have committed myself to go and dedicate this church. But in all of this, I begin to think about how blessed I have been. And then I've been reading a few books, one uh, about the life of Brother Ellis Sism, who was such a great pioneer preacher 
And this deals only with the early life of Brother Ellis Sism. He was our missionary in India for many, many years, and he just passed away this past year. He was born in 1909, and he talks about, you know, the poverty and such that they had, and yet how thankful he was. And I guess all of that, on top of the fact that my mother has had cancer, and I've given a lot of thought to my relationship with my parents, my family, I've just come this past week almost to the point of just wanting to pray all the time and think about how blessed I am. And, for so, you know, if somehow I could just convey to a lot of you that true riches consist of the blessing of the Lord upon your life, not necessarily gain in this world, and that you can be rich or you can be poor as far as this world's concerned, but you can be rich in faith. And if I could convey that to a good number of you, I believe that I, convince, I could convince you uh, that you are wealthier than, than most people in this world. The only way that someone could be richer than you is if they were more thankful than you for what God has done. And if in the event I could convey this to you, that there would be a deep, settled security that, that comes upon you. Most people who are not thankful are extremely insecure individuals because they're always seeking for some compensation. I have heard parents make this terrible mistake by saying that all of my life while I was growing up, I had to suffer as a child. I'm going to make sure that my children never have to do that. I've been told that by some of you in this church. And at the time in which you told me, I gave little or no thought to it. But the truth of the matter is, after praying recently, if you are trying to give your children just compensation for your poverty, you are making a terrible mistake. I mean, if that is the motive, because it is a known fact, psychologically, that to be able to suffer occasionally for things that you want and you cannot have develops you mentally and prepares you for the hardships of life. And don't tell me they're not coming. When Job said, man is born of woman a few days and full of trouble, he nailed it right smack on the head. It's just that way. So, if you're trying to float through life, and you're trying to do this by making it easy for yourself and making it easy for everybody around you, you are making a real mistake. A real mistake. Because 
if you will put your emphasis on the things of the Lord, and if perchance material blessings come your way, if your priorities are right, you'll continue to thank the Lord for it. If your priorities are not right, naturally, uh, you'll just seek more and more and more of this world and less and less and less of the next world. Now, I'd like for you to turn to Proverbs, the 10th chapter, and we want to read verse 22. The Bible says, The blessing of the Lord, it maketh rich, and he addeth no sorrow with it. If you notice what happened in the letter that Paul wrote to Timothy when he talked about the riches of this world, he said they are pierced through with many sorrows. Just the opposite. All too often material wealth is gained through wickedness and greed, and certainly not from God. Uh, the Bible tells us in Proverbs 10, verse 2, treasures of wickedness profited nothing, but righteousness delivereth from death. And certainly we know that all will die. But uh, there is such a thing as living a life that is so full of regrets that it's like a death. It occurs because there are so many uh, times in which we are lamenting over various things. The most miserable people in the world are people who have forgotten where God's blessings came from. One of the foremost things, seemingly in the mind of God, when Israel came out of Egypt was that you forget not the blessings of the Lord. Upon one occasion, the Lord even told Israel, I will not give you the promised land in one day. Do you know what he said? He said, little by little. Well, I give you the promised land. And you know why he said little by little? Lest you become spoiled. That's what he said. Now, this is kind of a strange turn when we talk about the spiritual things, but the Bible says if a man desireth the office of a bishop, he desireth a good work. And then it goes on to say, not a novice, lest being lifted up with pride, he fall into the snare and the condemnation of the devil. In other words, there is such a thing as being blessed spiritually and used by people in the body of Christ too soon. This is the reason why when a new convert comes to me and says, I've been called in the ministry, I rejoice. I've actually danced in the Spirit with some of those individuals who have told me that. When can I preach my first sermon? Well, I'm not really for sure. You know, they they got the preacher's itch, so to speak. Get behind the pulpit. Tell everybody how to live. I said, oh, no, there are many places you can preach. Get your home Bible study chart. You can go with the campus group surveying. You can preach on the street corners. Go out on the buses preach in homes and pray people through. 
But for some reason, preaching is what you do behind the pulpit. At least that's their concept. But there is such a thing as being recognized and used too soon. When Paul received the Holy Ghost, the first thing he did, he went to Jerusalem. Guess what he did? He preached. I'm pretty sure where he preached, but he preached. You know what the next thing he did was? He went into the Arabian Desert, and for better than three years, he was in prayer and Bible study in the presence of the Lord, receiving divine revelations. Then he came back, reported back to the church in Jerusalem, and it wasn't until a good number of years after he worked in Antioch that he became the missionary and the apostle to the Gentiles. Now, he had that call, no doubt about it. Now, when I say this is a strange twist in the Scripture, I'm not saying what I'm saying to tell you that you cannot be used in the Spirit if you're new in the faith. That's not it at all. I'm simply saying that there is also such a thing as the blessings of God coming upon you and you become lifted up by, with pride because seemingly God's blessing you more than others of your own age. I'm talking about your age in, in the Lord. You don't want that to happen to you. Now what I want to do, I want to read from the Amplified Bible in 1 Timothy 6. And I just want you to listen to this, and I'm going to do some preaching. Whenever I said I, I, I didn't really know what I was going to preach, on, preach on, there's several things in this that I may have to just stop and talk about for a while because I feel that this is so necessary. But as you can see, everything around this, the, uh, the, the Scriptures around this, they're, they're leading up and building up to this, this business of compensating oneself for... Uh, the unseen things. In other words, things I cannot see with my eye, I want compensation for that. So I, I feel that God's going to bless me with things that I can see with my eyes. Now I'll start reading in verse 1. If you want to read along in the King James Version, you may do that. The Bible says, Let all who are under the yoke as bondservants esteem their own personal masters worthy of honor and fullest respect so that the name of God and the teaching may not be brought to disrepute or blasphemed. Let those who have believing masters be not disrespectful or scornful to them on the grounds that they are brothers in Christ. Rather, they should serve them all the better. Now this is something that's, that's, that's worthy of mention. I'll just stop here. Uh, in, in the days of the Bible, it's talking about servants and uh, are, in, in many cases, slaves. You may say, did the Lord actually put his approval upon slavery? Well, obviously not, but you've got to understand one thing, that when Jesus Christ came in the world, Jesus Christ did not mess with the social system. Now, that, that may rub some of you wrong, but that's the... That is the gospel truth. You cannot find it in the Scripture. And neither did the apostles. Now let me tell you the reason why. Because the apostles were bent, and so was Jesus Christ, on one mission in life. And that is the saving of the soul of man. Because they realized that if they set everybody socially free until such a time they were born again, they were still in bondage. 
And it would take them all of their life's efforts to do what they were called to do. And when they would seal their lips in death and close their eyes, never to be opened anymore, their work would still be unfinished. Now, obviously, what I am talking about is something that God has not put approval upon. I'm just simply saying that they did not mess with the social system. Now, in our day, and thank the Lord, because I think that, that servitude, as he's talking about, and slavery is the most, it's the cruelest thing that's ever happened to the human race. For one, people to, one person to think that he actually owns another. And in many cases, that pretty much was the situation. To me, there is nothing worse than that. I can't see one human being on this planet Earth that feels that he is justified in any such thing. However, because it did exist, and these men knew that it was a worldwide problem, and they could not overthrow that, but they could set people free by the saving blood of the Lord Jesus Christ, that's where they put their efforts. Now, that's not to say that I am not thankful that others have put their efforts into that, because I do believe, especially in a free world like ours where we have democracy, that, that we also have a political system that does assist people socially. And we know that the, 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 the gospel, the church, also assists people socially, but not from the standpoint of overthrowing a total society because it takes too much time and effort. And many times uh, uh, tempers are kindled and, and such. And I, I, I'm going to say this, I want to say this one time, and I want to say, I have, I've never said this behind this pulpit, but if there's anything that rubs me the wrong way is for somebody to come around and try to stir up things racially. Now if you want to get me stirred up you start talking about that, and you're going to get me stirred up in a hurry. And the reason why is because I believe that we can all blend ourselves together. And I believe that the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ was shed to take away our sins. I believe that. And I believe that we're all free in the Lord Jesus Christ. And for us to to create strife and such. And I know that there are people that have told me, said, uh, Brother Pastor Grant is prejudiced. He doesn't like this and he doesn't like that. There's not one speck of evidence to prove that. Now, the only time I have ever gotten upset about it is when people cause disturbances. And that's something I just simply won't tolerate. And I'm going to say this, I don't care what race you're from, what color your skin are, is rather, what gender you are of, if you're going to do that, then get out of this place and go someplace where they like to fight over things like that. Let us go on about the master's business. we got too many souls to save. And you breathed all of that stuff in the body of Christ and after a while, nobody is happy about anybody. Nobody has to say amen. I said it because I prayed about it and I feel good about it. 
You may say, oh, you're getting upset. Oh, sometimes I do. I, I just think it's a disgrace that some people just keep things stirred up all the time. See? All right, let us move on, all right? Now, in situations in our society, we have situations like this, where we would have a brother who is an employer having employees under him. Now, the Scripture is simply saying that if you will show respect for an unsaved employer, how much more should you show respect for one that's saved? Is that what it's saying? That's exactly what it's saying, okay? Now, some of you can unbuckle your seatbelts now. I'm off of this other issue, all right? All right? <clears throat> now, this is what he says. Rather, they should serve them all the better because those who benefit by their kindly service are believers and beloved. You know, I don't know. Now, this is something you, you, have to get, you have to get used to because, my, I've seen this. I've seen people, we pray and fast and seek God that some brother, you know, that doesn't have a decent car, a decent place to live in and, and a decent job, we pray and fast and seek God. God bless them and all of a sudden God blesses them. They get a job and many times better than our own. And consequently then they get a better house, better than our own. And then we come around and snub them and make them wish they'd have never given their heart to the Lord in this church. <laughs> isn't that, That's crazy, isn't it? <clears throat> that's what he's saying. Because those who benefit by their kindly service are believers and beloved. Teach and urge these duties. That's what he's saying. If you're working, if you're an employer of a brother in the church, you know what you should do? He says, men, get behind them and work the harder so that they're really blessed by your labors. And tell everybody else to do the same. Now, but if anyone teaches otherwise and does not assent to the sound and wholesome message of our Lord Jesus Christ the Messiah and the teachings, which is an argument with godliness, piety toward God, he has puffed up with pride and conceit. Although, in actuality, He's woefully ignorant. Now please, I'm not reading from the Sunday funnies. <clears throat> you follow what I'm saying? You see, all the statements that I have made, I believe I have Scripture to make these. Now, nobody should ever justify this just in order to avoid it or or explain this just in order to avoid doing it. But this is what he says. They are woefully ignorant. He has a morbid fondness for controversy. 
this is strong, a morbid fondness for controversy. Now, do you know what the word morbid means? <clears throat> it means sick, doesn't it? means putrid. And a person who loves controversy is sick. I, I think I'm reading this right. He has a morbid, con morbid fondness for controversy and disputes and strife about words which result in producing envy and jealousy, quarrels and dissension, abuse and insults, slander and suspicions. Man, now I'm telling you, I've got to close this Bible. This Bible's about to catch you on fire here. Now really, when you think about it, See, sometimes, see, this is, this is what Jeremiah said. This is the reason why we have to challenge people with the word of the Lord. And sometimes it's, it's acid. And you understand why. Because the Bible says that the heart, above all, is deceitfully wicked. Who can know it? And if we don't come along and use the Scripture to challenge an individual, because the heart is... It doesn't just say it's wicked. It says deceitfully wicked. That simply means that deception is something that's undercover, something you can't see. Do you know what's happening inside of that wall in there? You'd be surprised. If I ask you to write down what's happening inside that wall, you'd be surprised. Most of you would not know. Now, you see, what happens... That's the way deception is. It's like a veil over you. That things are happening and you don't even know about it. This is the reason why that the Bible talks so much about presumptuous sins. And you know, if there's things that are going on and you don't know about it and, and you feel that God set you out to be the church detective, then you know, some people have that gift. I say, if you have that gift, though, what you need to do is go to work or detective, a private eye. But don't do it in the church. You know, there's a whole lot of things. That they don't, they're not like they appear sometimes. And even when you hear a story. I remember one time I went, uh, I went away out of town. I don't know why. I just When I came back, Sister Grant sometimes she quizzes me, okay? Now, I'm not a curious person. This is just saying that a woman just has that nature, you know? So she said, did you sleep well? And I said, well, yes. And I said, in fact, I, I was probably, I, I, I said, I, I never really looked to see, but I think, I think it was a woman, but she was about this far, her head was about this far from mine every night. And she said, you, you did? I said, yes, I did. <clears throat> she said, well, you mean, I don't understand what you're talking about. I said, well, <clears throat> in, in the room next, to mine, there was a lady standing there, and I, I never did see her, but I heard her talking outside, and I knew she went in the room. And, and because the motel rooms are bed to bed, and, and then they put the, the, the other wall to the other wall, I said, there was a wall between us, and it's only six inches, and, and the, the headboard is attached to the, 
to the... And, and I have a habit of sleeping with a pillow propped up on the headboard. Now, if this lady had hers up, we were probably eight inches apart. But there was a wall between us. Now, see, that wall makes a difference, doesn't it? Because otherwise... <laughs> Even Peggy's face is red. <laughs> but, but, but you understand. Now, if somebody just heard me say, well, I slept about eight inches from a woman, and I didn't even pay attention to who it was, they'd say, oh, dear me. <clears throat> Be calling Brother Urshan. <laughs> but the circumstances makes the difference. The situation makes the difference. But you see... If you try to figure things out and you can't, and the Bible says that only a fool would fail to search out, to ju would judge a matter before he searched out the truth, and sometimes you don't have, have access to all the information, then, then you see what happens. Then after a while, you get so stirred up, and when you're so stirred up, guess what happens? First, it affects your husband or your wife, whoever's stirred up, and then it affects your children, and then it affects your close associates, and they get stirred up, and they affect their spouses and their children. After a while, the whole church is stirred up over what? A lot of times, nothing. Nothing. Absolutely nothing. Just a bunch of garbage. And basically, I, what I'm reading into this, there, there's something, there are things in life you can't do anything about. And even though those things may not be right, if you can't do anything about them, why fret over them? Well, spend all your time trying to do something about something that <laughs> you can't do anything about anyway. All right, we're going to keep going because this really gets to be... All right, got to go back. He has a morbid fondness for controversy and disputes and strives about words which result in producing envy and jealousy, quarrels and dissension, abuse and insults, slanders and suspicions. Now... And protracted wrangling and wearing, this is verse 5, all right? You can read in the King James. And protracted wrangling and wearing discussion and perpetual friction among men. You know what the word perpetual means, don't you? It means something that's ongoing. It's always there. It's like the swinging of the pendulum. It's always there. Perpetual friction among men who are corrupted in mind and bereaved of the truth, who imagine that godliness or righteousness is a source of profit and money-making business. In other words, anybody that's preaching Christ to become a millionaire is in the wrong business. I guess it's all right if I preach on everything tonight. I've almost hit everything already. But, you know, I have... I, and there's one thing... I, I love gospel singing, but I, I, I tell you, I have a problem with all these copyrights that these gospel singers have said, oh, the Lord gave me that. I copied That's nobody else's song. And some of them become millionaires. Listen, it's something as sacred and as cleansing and as purifying as the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ that flowed from Calvary's cross. My friend, it was never designed to make anybody a millionaire. And it was designed to be shared by the individual that receives the revelation to the whole world. And if God gives you a song, everybody ought to sing your song. 
And if God gives me a message, everybody ought to be preaching my message. And if God gives you a testimony, let it be, re be, be repeated by everybody everywhere. That's what he's saying. That, wait a minute, godliness or righteousness is not a source of profit. It's not a money-making business. It's not a means of livelihood from such withdrawal. And it is indeed a source of immense profit for, for godliness accompanied with contentment. That contentment which is a sense, with, sense of inward sufficiency is great and abundant gain. And what he says, it is a source of profit. But it doesn't make your pocketbook bulge, it makes your heart bulge. Puts it inside in here. I'm feeling so good about this. I, I, I'm hoping I'll be able to do this some other place real soon. For we brought nothing into the world. Listen, we cannot take anything out of the world. But if we have food and clothing with these, we shall be content or satisfied. Now, I said all this to go back to the original statement. If some of you who are rich in faith, if you would understand just how blessed you are, a lot of the frustration and discontentment that's causing you, you know, to just have the emotional itch. You know, some people are that way. They just, oh, got to be talking, telling, doing something. But those who crave to be rich fall into temptation and a snare and into many foolish, useless, godless, and hurtful desires that plunge men into ruin and destruct, destruction and miserable perishing. Isn't this something? I mean, this, this, is, this is good, good preaching whether you like it or not. For the love of money is the root of all evils. It is through this craving that some have been led astray and have wandered from the faith and pierced themselves through with many acute mental, acute mental pangs. But as for you, O man of God, flee from all these things aim at and pursue righteousness. In other words, make sure your standing with God is true godliness, godliness which is a loving fear of God and Christ-likeness. Pursue faith, love, steadfastness, or patience, or gentle-heartedness. Fight the good fight of faith. Lay hold on eternal life to which you are summoned now, you know, when I read this, did you know, have you ever been summoned to a, have you ever been subpoenaed to a court? How many of you have had? I have been. I remember one time I received a subpoena, and, and, and it, was a, it was concerning a person that I pastored, and truthfully I did not agree with the stand being made by the person and I said, I cannot go to this court and testify 
and give my true feelings because this will not be good. My testimony will not be good, and I don't want to witness against a brother. I said, what am I going to do? I'll tell you what, when I received that, I cried, I prayed. I said, Lord, I don't want to do this. Would you believe that within about a week or a week and a half, I received a phone call, and it happened to be uh, from the judge's uh, chamber. It was some clerk that called, but said, we, we want to call you because you did not appear in court. And I said, well, what do you mean? And they said, well, the court was held yesterday, and you weren't here, and you were subpoenaed. I said, oh, there's been a mix-up. I said, go get the copy of the subpoena. And she went and got it. She says, oh, Pastor Grant, we put the wrong date on it. And they had put it for a week later. I'm serious with you. I said, oh, thank the Lord. <clears throat> Man. I mean, they, they let me know how serious this was. You know, the Bible says we have been summoned for eternal life. We have been subpoenaed by God for eternal life. You know how much God wants you to... You know how... You know what God's desire is concerning you and eternal life? The Bible is the subpoena. It's the summon. In other words, I'm going to give you this and you comply with it and you make sure that when your date comes, when your name is called... that you step into eternal life. Why? Because I'm not willing that any should perish. Not one am I willing that they should perish. You know why God put pastors over you? You know why God put preachers to stand behind pulpits to help you with some of these little bumps in the road that you get tangled up with? Because you've been summoned to eternal life. You've been subpoenaed. Because there will be a judgment day. There will be a court day. And when you show up, praise God, show up with a smile. Hallelujah. Praise God. Praise God. You know, and really what he's saying is that, you know, the whole thing, he said, would, would you believe in, in all this, if, if I read the context of all this right, because he, he goes from one subject into another, Back out of it into the same subject again. Basically what he's saying is that, hey, you know the problem with a lot of people? It's just that they feel insecure about things. And, and, the, and you know the reason why that some people are always down on everybody? Because they feel insecure. You know what happens to insecure people? Because they are not courageous enough to climb up to where they think their brother is in the Lord. They are willing to try to pull him down to where they are. You know? Well, what should I do? Just feel secure in God. Understand that the blessings of the Lord, they are rich. Don't you know? I like that. Really. Some of you just need to learn to smile about some things. Just so what? Those things happen. You know, really. When I was in math many years ago, especially when I went into, well, first into plane geometry. You know, you have all these theories. There is a theory in plane geometry that states shortest distance between two points is what? A straight line. The shortest distance between two people is what? 
It's a curved line. It's called a smile. <laughs> Don't forget that. <laughs> it's not a straight line. It's a curved line. It's called a smile. It's the shortest distance between you and your brother. If you want to distance yourself far from your brother, just keep your lips straight or even more, start frowning. You know, a frown is an undertaker smile. It's a smile that's just turned belly up. It's, it's dead. <laughs> undertaker smile. <clears throat> more of it isn't. Now, <clears throat> I haven't even gotten started good. I, I, I just want to conclude by, I guess, you know, if a man's going to boast, Paul says, let him boast in the cross in Calvary. You know, as I began to contemplate on just sending a letter and sending some pictures back of my family, my, my sons, my daughters, my grandchildren. You know, and I want to say to the class of 1959, I have had a very good and productive life. But you hear that so much from people. You know, it's almost like a cover-up. I really feel that way. I mean, I really do. You know, I can hardly believe that God called me to pastor Calvary Gospel Church when I was 32 years of age. I can hardly believe that. And I sit here on our 50th anniversary and I see all of these wonderful things that happened back when I was four years of age when this church was started. I see all these great men of God. So many people have come in, and some have gone as missionaries in various parts of the world. And I sit back where you sit, and I watched all of this, and I thought, Lord, I am unworthy. I'd been pastoring since I was 24. Received my license in 1964. But Brother V.A. Gidrose was our district superintendent in Texas, and truthfully, there were several times that I wanted to talk with him about things, and I was, I was afraid to. I was just scared to death. It wasn't that he was a mean man. I just revered him. I respected him. And, and it always seems like that when I had a problem, my problem was so small compared to the things that he was capable of dealing with. You know, that I, I shouldn't approach him and bother him with something like that. Now, later on, after pastoring here, I had the opportunity to invite him into our home, and he came into our home. He had retired from being superintendent, and he was such a kind man. You know, and I was amazed because I found out he was just like me. There was just no difference in him. He talked about family things and about dogs that he'd owned and pets that he had in his house and problems he'd had with his automobile. And, you know, you see, always saw him driving around in some big Cadillac. And, you know, I thought, man, this, this guy is next to God. He doesn't really, my problems are so insignificant. Not that I thought he wasn't interested, but why bother him? I know when the brethren of the state of Wisconsin asked me to be superintendent, 
one superintendent that I knew came by and told me, said, you know, Pastor, or Brother Grant, there will be such a great mantle of God that comes and rests upon you, and you're going to feel different from this day on. Uh, you know, I've been superintendent almost 13 years. I'm still waiting on that different feeling. I guess maybe I just didn't receive my portion, my portion of what that special touch was supposed to be. I'm not trying to play the humble role. I'm just simply saying that I guess it just hasn't come my way because I don't feel any different about anything in life than I did before. Except there has been a real sense of gratitude that has come to me. I occasionally meet people that complain about the fact they don't have any friends. I was told not long ago by an individual, I don't have one friend. I just don't know what that's like. I don't know of a person in this church except those who I don't know personally, that is, visitors that are here. And I only say this because I, I don't know you. But I'd feel very comfortable with anybody here walking in my home and sitting down and me chatting with you about just anything. That's how close I feel to you. And I have people call me up all the time. Pastor, we love you. We appreciate your cards are sent. I just somehow wish I could return the favor to everybody. Basically, what I'm saying is, I sure am rich. I've got a lot of things to be thankful for. And my precious mother who had cancer and they removed that cancer from her. Hopefully this is gone forever from her system. I call her up and she had such a good attitude about it all. And right while she was still a little bit under medication, you know, you could tell the way she talked and the way she was forming her sentences. You know what she told me? Well, first she said, you have a good service? I said, yes, I had a very good service. She said, good. She said, did you preach? Yeah, I preach, mother. She said, did you tell them what's right? Yeah, I told them what's right. She said, son, make sure you always do that. There's so many people that are falling by the wayside. God's children deserve to hear from God. If I've said anything tonight that you consider to be acid... It's only because I love you and care for you. I really mean it. I only want to be right. I read something in the Bible one time, and this is this is no revelation. I've bragged about it, you know, when I say bragged about it, you know how 
Texans are. They they build some things up. Some things I, I get up here and carry on about Texas and all that kind of stuff. I just do that for fun. Truth of the matter is, when I read this, you know, I read this, well done, thy good and faithful servant. And I said, Lord, I want to hear you say that one day. And the Lord spoke to me and said, well, it's very simple. You do things well. And I'll say, well done. Simple. I said, thank you, Lord. And that that helped me a lot. glasses are not fogged but my eyes are and I can't see my final scripture that I wanted to read in closing so I'll just have you to stand if you would oh thank you God would you lift your hands with me and would you God's wanting to use you. Let him use you right now, okay? God, praise God, and with the presence of the Lord in this place, and as our praise singers come, we want to give you an opportunity to come and seek the Lord. Praise God, oh, hallelujah. My Lord and my Savior, dear Lord, dear Lord, dear Lord. Could you come and give your life to the Lord? If you're a guest of ours, this is a good night to receive the Holy Ghost. Come on right now. Come on. Come on and seek the Lord. Isn't God good? Come on, right now. All over the building. If you're a guest of ours, come on and seek the Lord tonight. Would you do that?